With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. The podcast is back. Uh, Steve Tigner and myself, Ed McGrogan, are here once again to uh, talk tennis. Uh, it's high time we got back together, Steve. Last time we chatted, it was uh, the first week of the French Open, so you, know, you could say quite a bit has happened since then. Um, you may, before we get into anything else, since we really haven't discussed in the podcast, just, you know, the major takeaways from the French, I mean, they, they seem pretty obvious, but you know, what, what did you really take away from the two weeks? I guess you have Serena's kind of individual performance, um, pretty unique, even among her 20 grand slams to get through it the way she did five, three set matches. Um, I don't know what that doesn't prove anything new about her, but but it, you know, it just—it's, you know—it's pretty amazing how she won and that she can—that she's still winning a tough tournament like the French Open. It's never been her specialty. She's won it fewer than the others. I guess the bigger thing, as you go forward, though, is, is Stan Wawrinka. Where you know what what do we expect from him now? He played really obviously great and really confident tennis, as if he—I felt like. From the quarters on, it seemed to be that he believed he was going to win. You know, he was going to win the tournament. He played like it. Uh, so we'll see whether he can come up with anything remotely like that again. You know, he's always been up and down, but but he's been good at the slams for the last year and a half. So you know, you have to look at that as him him continuing to be a threat. So you know, those obviously the the, the two winners are the things that I you know take away the most from the French. It's amazing that uh, we just talked about that, and and we didn't mention Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, but that's you know, Stan. I think as as you put it, you know, that's the player that that we're seeing him really has become since you know 2013 at the Australian Open. That was, you know, his match against Djokovic there, the 12-10 loss. You know, that really put him on a you know I think a different perspective from a lot of fans that. He, he was, you know, kind of meandering around the, the top 20 of the rankings, but pretty much was always never considered a legitimate threat to the to the top, to the upper guard of the game. But, you know, that, that, that match really sort of put him in a new place. Um, and he, he really, in my mind, developed this kind of sort of, unsung rivalry with with Djokovic it, it's it's strange to call it a rivalry because the the numbers are so lopsided it's still 17 to 4 for Djokovic but all of their matches in majors you know have been sort of mini classics in their own way and you know Stan just did the latest of that with you know a four set win in the French final to deny him a career slam that 
actually probably wasn't even as close as the scores indicated. Yeah, I think, you know, 17 to 3, you can kind of ignore that number. Probably even Djokovic really, he knew that it wasn't, that that wasn't the real, you know, the real matchup with Stan. He, I, going in, you know, when the match started, I picked Djokovic, but I really felt like it was 50 50 that Varinka, if he played the way he had, he, he definitely had a chance. And, and Djokovic was unlucky. Like you said, we came into the tournament, everyone talking about Djokovic Nadal. And I don't, you know, that didn't help. I don't think that helped Novak. He had a, that big win in the quarters, and then he still had to beat Murray in five sets. Murray was on a good clay court streak, and then he had to beat Stan, who was playing, like he said, his best match of his career. So it all, you know, was one one step too many for for Djokovic, which was which is too bad. That's the, the you know, that's he'll never coming into the tournament. He'll, it's hard to imagine him ever being in a better position to win the French Open. Yeah, it, it's it's a thing for him where it, it is tough to picture that with his own form. It's you know we we've always referred to Djokovic's 2011 as this magical year, and he he really for the most part has duplicated that um, this season. You know, obviously even down to losing at the French Open in a, in a very late round, but you know considering where the rest of the pack was, you know for for Djokovic, I think he I think he certainly has to. You know, as best as hum- as best as possible, it just kind of has to put this really tough, tough way to end this term behind him. I- I'm more curious, not even of the long term, because I, you know, you know, every year there's a new story in the game, there's a new landscape. Djokovic will be, I assume, will be fine when the next French Open rolls around. I am sort of curious, really, is to see where he goes the rest of this year because. You know, as I mentioned, that 2011 season, I mean, he he is still, you know, on track for really, you know, potentially the best year of his career. He would have to do a lot to match that, of course, but I am curious really to see what kind of performances he puts out at, at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open and the hardcore events he does so well at. I mean, does he still bring that sort of unbeatable appearance that we've seen for the first few months of this season? Yeah, when he was interviewed after the French Open final by John McEnroe on TV. Djokovic said something along the lines of, well, I've just got to keep going. And, you know, it was obviously a tough thought for him right there, was was imagining getting back up and getting ready for the for Wimbledon. I would say, you know, it, he's this is the this will be the fifth time since 2011 he'll come off, he'll come to Wimbledon after a French Open disappointment. You know, there's been f- the last four years. In 2011, he lost to Federer in a just as disappointing way, and then he bounced back and he won Wimbledon. Then for two years, he lost at Wimbledon. Then last year, he won it again. So I think, you know, each of those years, I, I didn't expect him to come back and win Wimbledon right away. I think each time, I thought he's going to suffer after the French Open. And two times, he, he bounced right back and won it. So two times he didn't, and two times he didn't play particularly well. So I. You know, we'll see. I think it it could go either way. I think this is the toughest loss of all of them, and again, we'll be amazed if he can shrug it off and win Wimbledon right away. Yeah, and and you know, what do we say for for Stan in regards to Wimbledon? Because I, you know, now Stan he gets not only that, you know, this sort of a, a reminder of what of what he did two years ago in Australia, because it. 
you know, throughout this French Open, he looked just as good, if not even better, than how he played um, in Melbourne last season to win his first slam. But, you know, to me, it now seems like, you know, I don't, we've never really considered, you know, taking the temperature of Stan on grass, for example, but but it, it almost seems to be a fool's errand in that surface and conditions, you know, they they are far behind the consideration of how well Stan is playing because I think a lot of people in the past week have kind of come around to the idea that the most dangerous player in the game might in fact be Vavrinka because of just how how powerful all his shots can be from all over the court and you know, really can almost take anyone out of their game you know on the right day so it's just as interesting to see where Stan goes from here and as we've mentioned before he's never proven to be the a consistent player but he's proven to be a champion at some pretty major major events yeah you watch him over those last three matches at the French Open and you really think you really could let yourself think well now he's gonna challenge for every slam you know why why shouldn't he why he'll be why wouldn't he be confident in himself? Why wouldn't he be able to do this again right away? Um, you know that hasn't been the case for him, at least as far as come, as far as winning titles. He has made himself pretty solid threat at the slams. He made the quarters at Wimbledon last year. He won the first set against Federer. Um, but he also has lost in the first round at Wimbledon the year before. So you just you know you have to stop your you know you watch him. You think this guy. He could win. He could win the next two slams, or he could beat anybody, or maybe he should beat anybody. But then you just have to stop yourself and and wait um, and see. Uh, you know, I would think he's got to be favored to to go deep into this tournament, and and who's going to want to play him? You know, especially Federer and Nadal. You know, he's you would almost think he's the favorite against those two. In in thinking of Stan, one more time, it's. It's amazing when I when I think of now now with Stan winning two slams and comparing him to, you know, a large group of players that that hit as hard as he does. I'm I'm thinking specifically of someone like Thomas Burdich or even a Sanga who he beat in Paris, and it just really shows and illustrates. I mean, more than anything, of how mental the game is and how mental it is played at at these levels of the sport, and that. You know, it's it's ama- it's almost ama- just as amazing to me to watch a player like a Burdich who who can hit the ball just with the screaming authority that Vavrinka is able to do. But you know, he's been considered one of the sport's biggest chokers, and and Vavrinka now is uh, you know has has really just become a, a totally new player in the eyes of so many. So it's 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 another sort of little sub theme I think I think his win um, brings up here um, and and I do want to mention before we kind of move on a little bit is I want to touch upon one thing on Serena and, and kind of get your thoughts on this is that is that to me I think one thing that has actually kind of been under under I guess talked about is you know Serena's five three set wins obviously this is an it's an amazing achievement and I, th- I don't think it's a stretch to say at all that this slam had to be one of her best wins of all the 20 that she's done so far but 
you know, I do, I do wonder, I mean, about the other side of the net and just how many times, it was not, it was five times that a player was unable to really seize that opportunity. And Serena in some of these moments was, you know, not even just, you know, lost a set 7-5 and, you know, turned things around pretty quickly. She was in very dire situations in a few of these matches. And I do just wonder about, you know, as much as we've talked about Serena's achievement is just really, I think, sort of the disappointment in, in some of the competition that we've seen there. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it does take two in those situations to turn a match around. It, there's, you know, as soon it's not just as if Serena can automatically win the points when she plays better. The one, you know, I think Azarenka has, was the best player that she played, and I think she's had a, a few too many close losses to Serena. I could feel like, I felt like she could have had that match if she she just could have gotten over some of her past losses to Serena. She was up three one in the second. She had a couple of, an easy forehand that she missed that really would have could have helped her seal the match or or get a step closer that she didn't make. Uh, so there was that aspect. I thought Sloan Stevens that was a match that Serena didn't necessarily turn around and just blow her away. Sloan was in that until the end and she didn't quite you know, she she went for her shots, but she didn't make a couple of key shots. It's almost a maybe just a lack of experience or confidence in being aggressive and taking a match away rather than rather than just playing. I thought the last two matches were really Serena's racket. She was she was just too I think just too good for Bashinsky over the last two sets and and she really let Safarova into the second set of that match if Serena doesn't choke then I think she wins that match 6 that, one, yeah, that that was for a while going one way traffic exactly so um you know she she you know she's going to be anytime they somebody else is going to play her it's not going to be easy to finish off finish off the match no matter how Serena's playing yeah that, i think that's the moral of the story when 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 it comes to this here um and you know, we like I said, we move quickly from clay to grass. An expanded grass court season. Um, you know, use that word very liberally. Three weeks long now. Um, the tr- the truth is, it actually does feel like a lot longer because of how short, how few tournaments lead into Wimbledon. Um, going back, you do wonder maybe in, if in future years, um, you know, Wimbledon has its subjective seating. Um, you know, we're not subjective. It is based on results at grass events, and now that events in Halle and Queens Cove have gotten boosts to um, ATP 500, 500 level tournaments, that that could impact actually the seedings at Wimbledon a little bit more than before. Um, so you do get, you know, we will get a little bit of a time to actually watch the grass grow for these uh, three weeks going into Wimbledon. And, you know, we saw today before we got on this call, uh, we actually put off this podcast for a set after Rafael Nadal um, went three in his in his match in Stuttgart, um, comes out on top. You know, you, you saw that one. Um, you know, we haven't really touched on Rafa yet in this in this podcast anyway. You know what's what's to say about him with his um, play on grass and really his you know finally losing again at the French? Well, you're right. The grass season does seem like an eternity now. Three weeks. It just you know it's amazing how much time we have until Wimbledon. And 
But uh, with Rafa, he's in Stuttgart. He's only played on that tournament on on clay. Uh, he said afterward he was a little sad that now it's grass, but he thinks it's better for the tournament. I thought, you know, he started slowly, a little rusty, new surface. Um, I think I mean, he finished really well. He played a good third set. I would say the only the sort of telling moment or the or the negative moment was in the second set when he was up a break. Then he immediately lost serve. He immediately lost two straight quick games and almost lost the set. He was down two set points. And he played Marcos Bagdadis in this match. Against Bagdadis. Had to yep. dig himself out. A good opponent. Had to dig himself out of out of that. And then he was ahead in the tiebreaker 3-1, and he lost that. So you look at the positives that he won in the end, but there is that. I did feel like there was a, some confidence issue there. And normally, if he would go up a set and a break on Bagdadis, he doesn't immediately give that back. So, you know, he said he was happy to play. The, the match was two hours and 40 minutes, and he was happy to play. Maybe that's... You know, maybe that's what is necessary, just to, to play and get that confidence. But we've been saying that a lot for a long time about Rafa this year, that you know he needs to play and get his confidence. But you don't feel like it's it's all back yet. Yeah, and, and I believe that um, I'm pretty sure Rafa will be playing another tournament and um, in this in this grassy summer here um, coming up. You know, that's another thing that will occur because of the extended season, the extended amount of tournaments you'll get to see um, more players into the tune-up events Djokovic is actually an exception I, I, I did see a tweet today mentioning that of all the players he at least at this point hasn't committed to to any um, pre-Wimbledon event um, that would surprise me a little bit if he ended up not taking not taking one event um, going in but um, but it'll be you know for a variety of reasons it'll be I think a little more interesting grass season than we've been used to, and you do kind of float the idea of you know maybe some year we'll kind of get you know maybe even a Masters event back on grass. I think it's still a a pretty huge ask considering how cramped the calendar is at this time of year, and there's really almost nothing you can do about that. Um, so we'll see where it goes, but it, but it should be a more interesting lead-in um, to Wimbledon, a little bit more to talk about at least. Yeah, Djokovic normally doesn't play a lot of tune-ups. He typically, in the past, doesn't play tune-ups for this tournament or for the Australian Open. Um, it would, you know, so it wouldn't really surprise me if he doesn't if he just goes into Wimbledon straight up. Um, but I think it does him losing at the French really does open up the men's side at Wimbledon. You know who. Who, there's no definite favorite. He's obviously still number one and and the defending champion. It is the favorite, but but you have to look at somebody like Federer, who really has targeted this tournament in this time of year. He nearly won it last year. Um, he's already immediately after the French, as usual, talking about Wimbledon. You know where does where does he fit in? He's he's this is again like we usually say maybe his last best chance at at a major this or next year at Wimbledon. Um, so, but I think it, you know, there's, there's more to talk about. There's more openings, I think, this year. Fewer favorites, um, you know, on the men's side. Yeah, and as for the women's side, I mean, if if you're if we're looking back at Wimbledon's before and and kind of looking beyond the Serena question, um, you know, last year we had, you know, of course, a two-time winner, Kvitova. You know, 
you figure she'll be a factor, you know, getting back on grass, of course. Um, player she beat in the final, Bouchard, has had a, just a just an abysmal season thus far. I mean, it, it pretty much, it, it almost seems like every week has been a bottoming out, and it really has gotten worse from week to week for her. Um, just just a disaster all around, and that continued at Roland Garros. You know, an, you know another player that we expect to contend at Roland Garros and, you know, potentially really anywhere because she's, you know, she is ranked so high, Simona Halep. That's another player who, while you, while you can't say that her season has been as bad as Bouchard, um, strictly from a wins and losses and titles perspective, you know, Halep did have, you know, a huge title in March. Um, it's been, she really hasn't been able to to rise to, I think, the expectations of a lot of of a lot of people. She hasn't been beaten by Serena, for example, at a Slam. She's been she's lost some, um, you know, matches to Makarova in Melbourne, to um, to Lucic Baroni in Paris. Um, you know, sort of the opposite of Vavrinka, where she has really kind of caved at the the moments of the Slam. So. You know, these two players who got so much discussion last year for what they were able to do, it has not been a very strong first half of the season, you know, for them thus far. Yeah, and Bouchard was a, was up for love in the third set of her first grass court tournament in the first round and lost that um, 6-4, so that continues. I think, and, you know, Bouchard, if she goes out early at Wimbledon, who knows what her ranking is going to be at coming off last year's final. But I think, I mean, I think Bouchard is... It's hard to expect much from her at Wimbledon. You know, I really got to look long term now before she. I feel like before she's going to turn anything around. Halep is different. Obviously, she's had good good results and not so good results this year. I would have expected her to win one at least one clay court tournament. You know, she went out early in Madrid. She went out early at the French Open. She lost to Suarez Navarro in Rome. So she doesn't come in with a lot of momentum. You really you wonder. If she could get, you know, if she plays another strong, uh, powerful player, whether she could get knocked out pretty quickly at Wimbledon, um, she's going to have to turn it around, her form around, pretty fast if she's going to, if she's going to get back to the semis the way she did last year. So yeah, those two, you know, you look at, you just look at Serena having won the French, and at the same time, it seemed like a lot of top players didn't really, you know, didn't match what we would have expected. Sharapova was sick, but she went out early. Kvitova was upset. Um, Bouchard and Halep lost early, so Serena sort of, by default, elevated herself more. At Wimbledon, of course, the, you know the person who does come to mind um, is Kvitova. She, you know, she immediately becomes maybe even you know the second favorite right away after winning last year and and knowing how much she she loves to play at Wimbledon. So, absolutely, lot, some people. Some people you don't expect much from. Now you really expect, you know, you expect a lot from Kvitova. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's perfectly fair to give that uh, that label for her. It's uh, you know, you just have to remember what she's what she's been able to do on that surface. Um, you know, one more player I wanted to bring up that I was remi- really reminded of, and and looking forward and kind of curious how she does the second half of the year. I. I was talking to um, to Lindsay Davenport yesterday for a, a story that we're doing, and and it did remind it reminded me of you know what Madison Keys was able to do you know not that long ago, and it's not it's not as if um, 
she had a particularly poor clay season. I think on the whole, it was a, you know a pretty much what we would expect from someone who's still such a young player, you know, going across uh, to you know a surface that probably doesn't play to her strengths as much as anything else. But um, but when we talk about her, I, I'm I'm extremely curious to see what she could do on the grass and at Wimbledon in particular um, to see you know to see what uh, what is what's in store you know after really an eye-opening performance at the Australian Open and someone who you feel like has you know the, the mentality or sort of the the headstrongness and the physical gifts that could do it. You know, I'm. I was reminded of that, of course, because I talked to someone like Davenport, who has who has put it together um, before in the past. And um, you know, Keys is, is one player who we didn't see, we didn't hear too much about on clay, but on grass, I think uh, would be a, a factor to consider. Yeah, she won at Eastbourne last year. That was her first title, and it came on grass. Um, she said she, you know, she did, liked it right away, uh, and she had she. You know, did some you know did some damage at Wimbledon. Also got hurt last year, but she, you know, along with Kvitova, you put her, you you know you 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 know you her odds improve with with grass as well. And I you know also would say Venus Williams, another American who who loves Wimbledon. Those three players really, you know, suddenly become real threats. And you know we'll see what we'll see whether what Keys can do there. Yeah, we will. Um catch up with really all of them kind of over the next few weeks as I said for the grass uh, stretch here I have a lot of it on tennis.com of course please check it out as usual um, all the good stuff is right there so um, and we'll be back on the podcast uh, next week as well so for Steve Tigner this is Ed McGrogan thank you for tuning in and listening to the tennis.com podcast you've been enjoying the tennis.com podcast for all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.